Thanks for calling Ask a Christian. How can I help you today? Goodness. <laughs> just had, uh, what is today? Today is Thursday, January 18th, 2024. I just had flashbacks of my telemarketing days. It's like, thank you for calling. How can I help you? <laughs> thank you for calling. Would you like to yell at me now about something you did wrong that I'm supposed to fix and care about? Anyway. All right. Let's get to it. Today we talk about uh, Peter, the supposed first pope, and Acts 10, where he sounds very, very much faith alone. Um, how did that change? Anyway, uh, Bible translation in Klingon is available, um, and as well as the New Testament version of the New Yoda edition. So if you're looking for a nifty new Bible translation, check those out. Um, <laughs> then we get into demon possession and deliverance ministries and spiritual gifts. That's a fun one. Um, then we talk about hyper-Calvinism and what separates that from not hyper-Calvinism and uh, what what are the heresies built into that. Um, anyway, so it's a good discussion. And then Michael and guest Jesse get super philosophical, which normally I beat my head against the door. Uh, but today it, it was real enjoyable to hear them talk and communicate their points. So uh, I let it go longer than I normally do. Um, it was a really good conversation. And that's coming from me. <laughs> so uh, anyway, uh, check out the Ask a Christian book on Amazon. Check out the Ask a Christian store. Support this podcast. Uh, sharing the gospel and biblically accurate truths as best we can with people on the internets. Uh, have an awesome day, and we will see you later. Goodbye. I have the perfect topic today. As I'm just going to say, the Lord led me to read Acts 10 today uh, for my morning scriptures. And um, in reading it, I, um, yet again, uh, saw, you know, our our hallowed first Pope Peter, praise be upon him. Um, and it seems like he is, you know, the first Pope is um, is saying faith alone. So, you know, Pope Peter, the one whom the keys of heaven were given, when he's talking to Cornelius, says in verse 42 of Acts 10, and he commanded us to preach to the people and testify that he is the one appointed to God, uh, appointed by God to judge the living and the dead. To him, all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Not for any other reason, through his name, through Jesus. No one comes to the Father except through him. Anyway, <clears throat> then he goes on, and you know, you see Gentiles speaking in tongues in Acts 46. Uh, the Gentiles speak in tongues. The Jews are amazed. And then Peter says, our first pope, uh, how old is he? Um, <clears throat> He says, how can anyone withhold the water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? That was a condition on being baptized. They received the Holy Spirit before. So then he says uh, in 48, and he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And they asked him to remain for some days. That's it. So the first pope, Peter, uh, seemingly to earth's dirty Protestants, um, says, hey, believe in Jesus for forgiveness of sins through his name. And then they were filled and received the Holy Spirit. And then he says, hey, you've received forgiveness of your sins. You've been uh, filled with the Holy Spirit. So, you know, go ahead and get baptized. Just like Jesus says, just like us dirty prots believe. Um, so how do you mess up the first pope with the keys to heaven? Um, seemingly saying it's by faith alone. And somewhere along the way, that changes. Thoughts? Well, the church has Thoughts. authority to um, 
modified doctrine and to this so this is why you don't see um certain things being done consistent because as she progresses she has the ability to articulate and you know because she was given the keys uh you know so she can establish rules and this is the authority peter had which you uh loose in heaven loose on earth and so therefore whoever he's given authority to this is what they can change to and so th this is the current rule of faith in the uh, catholic church universal i mean i guess so but if he's like hey oh, but if he's like by, it's by faith alone so um you know it's by faith you'll receive the holy spirit and then get baptized and then he's like here catch these keys and they're like okay it's 100 percent wrong uh, what the first pope said, uh, we're going to change that. We're totally by baptism. Um, so, I mean, I, I guess if that's how they view the keys in heaven, if someone's like, hey, um, you know, Nate, uh, I'm the first pope, you're the second pope, as if that was a thing. Um, here's the keys to heaven. Here's my keychain. Jingle, jingle. That's jingle, a succession. Um, See, that's a succession. Now you're getting it. Right, 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 right. But in that succession, if he's like, if the first pope's like, hey, uh, you know, Jesus, the Lord God Almighty hath said, um, Everyone who calls on his name and believes in him for forgiveness of sins through faith, they are saved. And then go get baptized. And then he's like, here's the keys. You can do whatever you want. The first thing I would not do is turn what he just said up on its head. I'm like, hey, I have the keys. I guess I can do whatever I want and modify it as needed. But it's not needed. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. So, you know, the first pope says, uh, believe through faith and you receive the Holy Spirit and then you'll be baptized. Um, so go do that. And then I would imagine every successor down the line is like, hey, it's not broke. Don't fix it. This is how you're saved. So I can modify things like, I don't know. I think blood red is a good color of my cape. Um, doesn't matter. Nothing to do with salvation. So I'll, I'll change blood red and call people cardinals. Um, I'll do that. But I wouldn't change like the main the main point of the whole church, which is salvation through faith alone. I don't I, I know if I ask an actual Catholic, which I may throw in discord later and then just like, you know, drop a grenade and run away. Um, they'll have tradition that says, well, when he says, uh, you know, when it seems like it's faith alone, that's only because it seems that way because you're not the true, true, true church and, you know, reasons. Who, you know, who gave you your Bible, Nate? Have... See, you don't even know who gave your Bible. So how, how are you going to ask questions? Well, what do you think, uh, Klingon Chris? Uh, Klingon Chris? <laughs> they have no honor. So um, I could do just Klingon all day. That'd be pretty good. Like I did the uh, Ren Fair a couple weeks ago. Um, did you go to a Ren so, Fair dressed as a Klingon? I think you could go to a Ren Fair dressed as a Klingon. I think people would enjoy that. You'd have to be a landing party or something. Yeah. It, well, so, like, like, we're from the there are there are people who have actually done that. They go in like they have Star Trek costumes underneath like their rent fair clothes as if they are from like a federation planet checking out a privilege of pre uh, like a primitive civilization there's actually start uh, there's actually like trek cosplay people who do that at rent fairs all right talk so about the pope now <laughs> why don't okay, they follow so what their need, first pope so, said so nate this is where we need our jingle we need the jingle. You're a musician. You can do this. We need the Pope Cope jingle. Pope. I came up with the tune Pope yesterday. Cope. Do, 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 I know. Do. Like we need a recording and we need somebody singing about the Pope Cope with like some backup singers. You know, let's just make it like really good. You know, like there's tons of musicians on here. Like how do we not have a Pope Cope 
jingle. Like this is just this is a tragedy. Anyway, I'm off my soapbox about the the jingle. Just, I'm, I'm just, a musician just, also. I'm just, I know you are, Brandon. I need a Pope Brandon. I need a Pope <laughs> Pope jingle by the end of the week. We'll we'll we have it uh, done it, ASAP. Yeah, man. Get I'll get you a saxophone special. It goes with a jingle. Do, 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 do. Something like that. Like heretics burning, witches flying. I don't know. Um, my eyes are burning. Yeah, I don't know. Okay, so the day on okay, so the question, the question. Yeah. So yeah. Anyway. So here's the Pope Cope. The Pope Cope is that um, you see this was a unique time in church history where the Holy Spirit, and this is actually true. Like they they're actually not wrong. So like. This is a unique time where the Holy Spirit is bringing Gentiles into the church for the first time. And so they wanted, so God wanted the Gentiles to have the very same experience that the apostles had on the giving of the Holy Spirit um, on the day of Pentecost to show that there are not multiple like layers of the church, that all the members of the church be it Jew, Gentile, or Old Testament saint, are all equal. Because we see Day of Pentecost, then we see Acts 10, then we see Acts 19, where, like, uh, the dudes that had the baptism of John, like, right? So they, they were Old Testament saints. They are brought into the church as well. And so this is that. So they rightly point out that this is a transition period within church history to show that, uh, you know, that this was different than the normal mode of salvation. Okay, so accepted. if that's the case, um, let's use an argument that we use, you know, it's like the whosoever against Calvinist. Um, in verse 43, the prophets all bear witness that everyone, does everyone mean everyone? Well, it's not everyone, everyone. It's everyone who believes in him. So does everyone who believes in him really mean Everyone who believes in him, because if so, and I say yes, that is true for all time. So everyone throughout the ages who believes in him uh, receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Um, I'm going to say that's true for all time. What do they oh, say about that? Well, so, so Nate, here's your next Pope Cope. You're you're not <laughs> using the correct. You're not using the correct version of hermeneutics. Literal historical grammatical is a prot way of reading the scripture, and so you be you are begging the question by looking at the grammar. This is the Pope Cope. This is what they would tell you. As sure as I'm sitting here, the Pope this is exactly Cope. Pope Cope. Oh, oh I, I, okay. I got the first line. Pope Cope. Pope Cope. Give enough line to hang on a rope. There you go. There's your first right. There's your first line. Yeah. It's the Pope Cope, the Pope Cope. Got enough line to hang on a rope. Do -do -dooch. All right, yeah, Brandon, you can watch the second that. one. I put the Klingon. Klingon, he's coming. <laughs> the Klingon Bible's in the chat, by the way. Oh, that's Klingon hilarious. Ah, <laughs> the Klingon. Is that free? And is it is it like the whole Bible? Yeah. Wait, is it done in Klingon? Like, like, oh, shush, yeah. pop, do whatever. Yeah, the whole thing. It's yeah, literally in Klingon. I, I put, oh. I put John one one. Okay, I've got to see this. Uh, Brandon, yeah, you got a second line. Good things are happening here. Yeah, man, I, I'm, I'm just enjoying, enjoying the healthy conversation. <laughs> <laughs> 
Does anyone know? Is anyone fluent in Klingon to read John one one? Doc Nope. I'll bet you Jamesy is. <laughs> okay, so 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 is that like Chris's like everyone is a heretic answer, or is that like uh, like what they would? That's their actual apologetic. No, that's their actual answer. I'm giving you the actual, like, if you were to go to catholicanswers.org right now and look up these verses, this is exactly the Pope Pope they're going to give you. Huh. And so really, like, if you... Remember, if you, uh, remember if you most were... of the Roman Catholics on this app, I had to teach them Roman Catholic theology so they could argue it. I'm not kidding. Like, a year ago, I had to teach a bunch of them what actual Roman Catholic theology is. Now they're all like, "Oh, we're Catholic apologists. You're you're a prot scumbag." And I'm like, "I taught you everything you know." So, okay, cool. How do you spell Klingon? Is it like K L I N G O N, or is there like apostrophes in there? Yeah, you got it right. No, there's no apostrophes. It's just Klingon. Nailed it. <laughs> yeah, my my son broke the rules at school to send me that text yesterday. Because he just thought it was so funny because he saw that picture of St. Nicholas. So is that okay since he was doing what would be, uh, well, I guess there's no way to justify that, but doing what's right or what's God's law versus man's law? <laughs> I mean, he That's was just, you know, he was doing the work of the Lord in memes, I suppose. <clears throat> what is N-O-C-R.net? Is that, is that just a place to go get all kinds of translations of a Bible? Well, that's where uh, Todd just posted from. It was like nocr.net that had the Klingon Bible. Oh, that's just the first website that came up when I searched Klingon Bible. Since I but you don't know what one. the website is? Uh, I'm sure it probably actually is a website that has lots of versions since it had that one. Well, yeah, I'll that's my question. Look. Like, is it is like I, I go to it and it talks about Korean and all, all select other Bibles. Like, I'm just wondering if this is like a rare translation or it seems like a lot of Korean stuff. Yeah, I'll check it out. I'm not sure. I can I can ask my sister-in-law to check it out. She's <laughs> Korean. Reads Korean. Anyway, uh, Todd, do you have anything to uh, say about the Pope Cope, or you think that was think that's pretty accurate? Uh, I got nothing except baptism is uh, not for salvation. And so, basically, if you if you take the Catholic apologetic that. <clears throat> Everyone who believes in him does not mean everyone who believes in him. Then you should just throw in the towel and be Catholic right there. Um, if you <clears throat> take issue with that and say no, um, <clears throat> when Peter says everyone who believes in him, that really means everyone who believes in him, then you should just not be Catholic right there. Well, but you also have to – here's more Pope Cope. You have to understand that you can't rightly believe anything outside of the Roman Catholic Church. So Roman Catholic theology teaches that apart from being a member of the Roman Catholic Church, you cannot discern correctly nor believe in any way, shape, or form. You cannot exercise, um, you know, fiducia-type faith. It's not possible outside of the, the bosom of the Church. Hey, Serendipity, CEO, what's up? Morning. So that website does Morning. have 
Good morning. That website does have a lot of uh, translations, so you can check. Yeah, it out. I just. Yeah, I just wasn't sure if it was like because there's nothing on the homepage. Like the homepage is the translation, so I'm like, well, is this like supposed to be like a Bible gateway, like the Korean version, or just like helps people find their their language to read the Bible in? Anyway, it doesn't really. So it's say got like about it, so. it's got like forty different English translations. It's got Hebrew, Greek, Latin translations. It's even got German. But how do you know which one to pick since they're surely all saying totally different things? Yeah. I'm about to read the Wycliffe written in 15, <laughs> That was – that be a path that was not want to go down <laughs> or something. Yeah, the know. Wycliffe one, man. It, it, the great thing about the Wycliffe translation is if you breathe in hard enough, you can actually smell the flames. <laughs> There's got to be like a Yoda translation, right? Someone, I mean, I mean that would be so tedious that still be translating it to this day. But there, there's got to be like an attempt at like a Yoda translation. Well, I mean, you found the pirate Bible recently, so <laughs> I think Yoda oh. would be about the hardest. I mean, Klingon would be really hard. Like, the Wycliffe Bible's horrible. Here's John one <laughs> one in the. In the beginning, it doesn't even spell the word beginning right. In the beginning was the word, and the word was at God, and God was the word. This was in the beginning, at God. This is horrible. At God. I mean, but it's pretty accurate to the Greek. It is, it is kind of accurate since it's it's towards, says the Strong's, yeah. or face-to-face, yeah. -face, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, but, like, Wycliffe also lived before, like, English was a standard language. Like, like uh, you know what I'm saying? Oh, Shakespeare okay. Kind of standardized English, so like Star Wars, Star Wars new Star Wars Bible New Yoda version, but NYV. Oh, Yoda, that's got to be awesome. <laughs> Let me see if I can right, find. Read us, read us John one one in Yoda version. Uh. Okay, so I, I don't have the actual Bible. Apparently, it's just the New Testament. Like, I haven't, I haven't found the actual Bible yet. But here's some snippets. So, let's see. Um, it doesn't even give the verses, but you'll know these. My kingdom... It, oh. Oh, okay. NIV. My kingdom is not of this world. Um, not of this world my kingdom is. Okay, these are easy ones. Uh, don't, um, your heart's trouble. Do not let them be. <laughs> to others do. As have them do to you, you would. Die by the sword, all who draw the sword will. <laughs> uh, as loved you, I have. As loved you, I have. So love one another, you must. Um, it is not healthy who need, is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick, yes. The peacemakers, blessed are. Okay, this, this is not true to Yoda. Like, it's, it's kind of Yoda-esque, but I, I don't think Yoda would be that lame. Like they're basically yeah, but just. You, but you gotta read it like Yoda. <laughs> do it, Todd. Do it, Todd. Oh, All right, here man, we go. I, I had a very exciting conversation for Chris. All right, so Chris, I. I Wait, are you just gonna are you just gonna diss Yoda like that? Oh, I'm sorry. Okay. Pretty much, fault. yeah. So let me know when I can go. All right, someone read this in the voice of Yoda to the rest of their abilities. Your heart's troubled. Do not let them be. Someone say that in their best Yoda. Your heart's troubled. Do not let them be. That's terrible. Mm, your heart's troubled. Do not let them be. <laughs> yeah, 
Yeah, they're not going to be hiring us to do any voiceover for you. So that's, that's <laughs> All right, so yeah, what's your Chris, what's your Chris question? Okay, so so Chris, so uh, my client John Ramirez, the guy who's a former Satan worshiper, now he's Christian evangelist and does spiritual warfare. I asked him this whole thing about spirits having names, and he said that spirits do not have names. He said that is not something that's biblical. He said that the reason why sometimes people give spirits names, like the Jazzabel spirit, is not because that's like some biblical thing, but it is to identify an area of struggle and to pray against it and then god will honor that what is your thoughts um i think it's all stupid so (laughs) like spiritual warfare is a struggle for truth and it's a struggle for biblical truth we do not involve ourselves with demons we do not cast out demons we have no power to cast out demons we have no power to talk to demons we don't we don't involve ourselves as Christians with demons in any way, shape, or form at any time because that is unbiblical. And so the idea of casting out spirits is unbiblical, it is nonsense, and I reject it wholesale. And so our friend there has been utterly deceived or is utterly deceiving for dollar bills. A quick clarifying question. Um, my wife was distracting me. Are, are, was one of the questions that they don't have names? Because it is it like because I, I totally uh, believe yeah, they have yeah, names. Yeah, I asked them. Yeah, I asked but that's, them. It, but that's it, different it, than what Chris was saying about. Like I, I tend to kind of agree with Chris to a point, maybe not all the way. But yeah, I totally think they have names, and Chris may even think they have names, right? We need well, another but they don't jungle have names that we're Calvinist able to identify. Thing. Yeah, we don't. We we don't right, know. We can't identify. Which, you know, yeah. I mean, I would agree we can't identify individual demon names because where are you going to come up with that information? From the demon who's lying whenever they're talking, which, again, I'm... Okay, okay, well, there's a... Okay, we'll, cl- we'll clarify that, qu- Chris. Clarify that Chris question, Chris. So, I mean, you would probably say the demons have names. Like, whether or not we can identify those names is another question, right? So, so I'm kind of with you there. Like, yeah, are you going to trust a demon to tell you his name? But, I mean, you'd say, well, I don't know. If, like, the demons are like... Hey, Demon Joe, like, I mean, they probably have an identifier that you would call a name, just that we may never know it, you know, maybe a different thing, right? I mean, maybe, I don't know. We're just not told that information in scripture. Or like Demon Chris. (laughs) Jezebel spirit or the sneaky squid spirit or any of this Jennifer LeClerc nonsense. It's all for dollar bills. It has nothing to do with anything biblical. There is no such thing as Christians casting out demons. Because if there were, I would enjoy somebody pointing me to the instructions in the New Testament epistles as to how to cast out demons. That would be great. Oh, I'll wait right here. Yeah, so where, where he, where, so where he ends up agreeing with you is like this marine spirit and all this and that. This is people just like wait. He does the marine spirit. Money. No, no, he doesn't. Oh, oh he doesn't. Oh, okay. No, no, he he thinks that people who come up with that sort of thing are just doing it to try to make money. Yeah, I, I mean, like, we can all Justin agree on Peters that. has a whole thing on Deliverance Ministries. I suggest everybody watch. Just just search for Justin Peters Deliverance. He did, like, a two-hour deep dive on Deliverance Ministries and hits pretty much all the major ones. And every one of them are heretic charlatans. Hey, Bertie. Hey, how's it going? Good, good. How about yourself? Yo, yo. Doing okay. 
uh, multitasking right now. Um, big project that's due today. Any demons you need casting out? I hear uh, if you give a couple bucks to Chris, he'll do it for you in Klingon. Yeah, if you can cast out the demon that's preventing me from doing this project successfully in my laptop, because it's lagging, that would be great. Chris, historically, is there any difference in, like, demon and daemon? Or is that people that, like, you know, want to be edgy and cool and, like, misspell magic with a K? Yeah, is there supposed to be some sort of difference, or there's absolutely no difference? It's talking about the exact same thing. I, mean, I don't know the entomology of both words. Like, I'm not, you know, like, I'm not a dictionary, but, like, there's no difference. The Bible only mentions demons. Demons are a very real thing. That's when your email bounces back that you're trying to send to somebody, isn't it? <laughs> that's true, yeah. yeah that, that's I always weird. Demons, I, always... I deal with demons all day long, yeah. <laughs> I, I always yeah, wonder, like... So in Unix, in Unix processes that we spin off are called demons. And so that's... Yeah, who gave them that name? Was it a demon? No, it was it was it was a joke early on in the Unix community um, because basically, Does anyone... well, yeah. Sorry. Wait. Hang on. It was a joke in the Unix community that someone invented that word, or that that kept happening, so they made joke about demons. Like, like they made yeah, a joke. It's the, it was the British. It was the British spelling of demon of demon. So like they used demon, and so like you know. Mailer Damon. So that's where it came from. That. So, so like, whenever yeah, they're like, oh, this mail keeps failing, this mail keeps failing, what are we going to call this? Failed message? No, we're going to call it Damon. Like, that's how it happened? No, 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 no. Like the I process, think it's a good description. One at a time! This is why I have a short the stage process, recently. The process? Yes. The, process. The, the program, we call it a process, so the process that's running in a Unix system and there could be a bunch of stuff. If it's a spin-off process, if it's what we call a spin-off process, that's just doing things on its own, we call that a daemon. Because it's doing stuff on its own. It's not part of the master process. So the point is, it got that name because someone is like, ooh, magic, demons, daemon. Right? It wasn't like, oh, the technical word for this is daemon for something totally unrelated to demons. But that, that's why that word came to be in existence in computer use, is because they're like, oh, it's doing stuff on its own. Ah, demons. Oh, let's call it demon. That's exactly correct. Thank you. CEO, what were you saying? That you can just literally say demons are stopping us from getting emails completed. That, that could be, yes, you could say that. Can can we say demons uh, broke Clubhouse and then wait for someone to say, no, no, it's people who did that. And be like, yeah, that's what I said. Because <laughs> the uh, yes. people were... Puzzled. Well, they just reprogrammed it. I'm sure it's running on a Unix box somewhere, though. I'm sure it's running on Linux somewhere. Sean, before you left, I tried to invite you up. I was asking if you had awful audio again. But Sean wanted to speak to your uh, demon thing. Sean, are you there? Uh, good morning. Good morning, first of all. Yeah, uh, good morning. Excuse the background. Good morning. Um, the first thing I would say is Jesus identified, asked the demon-possessed person, what's your name? He said, my name is Legion, but we are many. And when I hear someone say that nobody has the power to cast out demons, 
So you call it Jesus a liar? If Jesus cast out, and we're no, supposed that, to be yeah. his father, well, Jesus and the John. apostles cast out demons. No, 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 don't go, don't interrupt me, Chris. I listen to you without interruption. Jesus and the apostles. Stop limiting things to first century. That's a problem. That's a major problem. scriptures also say so Philip and the evangelist he cast out demons so would you say uh, that it was just limited to him when you say Jesus and he's supposed to be our example he says in John 14 the very works that I do those who believe in me will do the same so, apparently, either you lying or Jesus lying. I'm going to go with Jesus, not lying. <laughs> yeah. That's the bottom line. Lying, and not because I would just say that you're well, not I'm saying you lying because you're lying against the scriptures, Chris. No. You're no, lying sir. against the scripture. You, you, just, you are not No, 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 no. You're not going to go there with me. I mean, you can't just sit here and call me a liar. I said, like, I didn't call you a liar. I said, either you're lying or Jesus is lying. I did not say no, Chris, you're a liar. Those words did not, not those true. words did not come out of my mouth. And you're not gonna put those words in my mouth. Sean, that's distinction without a No, difference. no, no, no. You said I called you a liar, and I did not. Let's get okay, a, let's Nate, get a vote from Nate, I have a request. Uh, Nate, I have hold a on, request. hold on. I'm let, uh, wait, wait, stop. I, I, I'm letting I'm I'm letting them go a little longer. Continue. And Sean, if you want to cast out any demon in Chris, uh, go right ahead. Yeah. So, so again, well, I only do so I, the, the scripture says about, I can only do that as the spirit allows. Right. So again, all right. So doesn't say that, but like, oh, y'all. Okay. So, so Paul is lying now. First Corinthians 12, 11. You read it. You tell me what it says. Sean, we can do that room. No, 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 no. No, no, no. You're supposed to be solo scriptura, right? And That's you know I got a degree. You know I got a degree. And you know I got a master divinity and with theological faith, appeal to authority. Right? So, so scriptural authority. Well, then I'm appealing to scriptural authority. I said First Corinthians twelve eleven. If that's not scripture, that's not scripture. Right. It is scripture. But again, uh, so, we have so, to read it within its so, context. so, and if I'm saying what the scripture is saying, there should be no problem. Yeah, I said, but again, Jesus your interpretation said, of that scripture no, only came about no the last problem. 150 years. Say what? Like, it, your interpretation of those scriptures only came about in the last 150 years. Uh, see, the interpretation of the scripture says, well, all these workers that one and self-same spirit who distributes to everyone severally as he will. Correct. Any, again, any, any that's other a different interpretation than the church has had for 2,000 years. Well, Maybe the two thousand year old church was wrong. Just saying. It could have been, but again, but again, look, I don't here's the, see, thing. the thing about is it that is, is, I'm not going by what your scholars say. I'm going by what the scriptures say. Right, and they're going by what okay. scripture says too. So, so I mean, listen, your your systematic theology don't trump what the Lord said. You said Trump, you lose. Right, but yeah, but the I Lord, said Trump the Lord because is, I do Lord, play. Look, Chris, what is your interpretation? So that's a, so, 
but what scholars say do not trump what the scriptures say. Except if I can, uh, okay, so you're both saying that the scripture is absolute and the scripture is right. You would both just come to very different conclusions when reading the scripture that you both say is the final authority. And so then are you, are you deducing that and saying, well, how you come to that interpretation um, is where you draw the line? Because no one is claiming the scripture is subpar. You're both, so, uh, uh, you're both appealing to the supremacy of scripture. So then I guess the way, Sean, you're deciding who is right and wrong is what led someone to their interpretation. If someone just um, you know, prayed or meditated perhaps and um, felt like the Holy Spirit was telling them this is a correct interpretation, Versus someone else, like, you know, read some books about scholars who have really, like, studied the Greek and the original language and all this other stuff. And they're like, oh, okay, well, that must be the interpretation. You're saying no, since you both appealed to the supremacy of scripture, um, whoever had more of, like, the spiritual, godly, perceived godly understanding must be right. And whoever took the more academic, less spiritual approach um, has the faulty view of scripture. Is that fair to say? Actually, no, I believe in balance. You what? I believe in, I believe in balance. <laughs> All right. Okay, but that I'm line would be there. So I can't be against education. But that line would be there somewhere, right? Because no one in this argument can say, well, I'm appealing to Scripture and you're not, because you both exactly say that same thing. You both are saying, we appeal to Scripture. <laughs> so you're both, a, you're, you're like Trump card, now I said it, is the exact same thing. And it's that scripture is the ultimate authority. Yeah, I just pulled so out the big how you get a little But what it, what is Chris's actual interpretation? I haven't heard it. Demons. I don't know. I'm just kidding, Chris. What's your interpretation, and how Wing do you on. get there? Interpretation Wing on. of what? Yeah. Like, are we talking about? I, I guess. I guess that uh, what Sean verse. said. What Sean yeah, said. Yeah, of that verse. The verse Sean is talking about. Right. So, so spiritual gifts are given to the church. The entire context of 1 Corinthians 12 through 14 is that spiritual gifts are not given to individuals. They are blessings to individuals, but they are given to the church in a covenant way. And so when we say there are gifts of healings in the church, we don't mean that a dude is walking around with the gift of healing touching people, right? This is a gift that was reserved for the apostles and the close associates of the apostles to establish the canon in the first century. It eventually faded away to the point where Paul wasn't even using a healing gift at that point. But we do see the apostles exercising healing, and we see the apostles exercising things like raising the dead at will. And so the idea here is that there is nobody walking around today with the gift of an apostle a la Peter and Paul. And we've talked about this before, and Sean agrees that there is not a Peter and Paul and James walking around now. There are messengers, and that's fine. But the thing is, is that the people that are exercising miracle gifts, signs and wonders, are reserved to the apostles and the close associates of the apostles. We have New Testament uh, prophets. But, they but, did that. That, that doesn't wait, speak wait, to wait, that, that, that's not what the but, but, says. Wait, wait, wait. But Chris, but Chris, uh, but Chris uh, what you just said, though, you're saying, like, it, it, it sounds like you're saying if, if Sean conceives of that, though, everyone's fine, it, unless Sean says, like, there are people who can at will like go around casting out demons and raising dead, but you would say it's a gift given to the church. So somehow like, you know, God could appoint a certain time or place where like 
you know, the church or the body of Christ could pray for a demon-possessed person. And it's not like any individual is at will going around casting out demons, but because God grants it so that, you know, quote, the church uh, has the ability to cast out demons, not like at will, but as a miracle of God. Is that is fair to say? Because I was, no, it's not. So, so what I would say. Well, well like, oh, that, well, let me clarify real fast. So like, you, you would say like, if someone goes and prays for someone and they receive healing, you would say, yes, that's totally fine. But if that person who just said the prayer and then someone received healing, if that person said, I can do this at will, you would say, no, that's false. But you totally believe like you could pray for my broken leg and God could heal me. And you'd be like, yes, uh, God, God healed you. Healing is real. Someone prayed and God granted healing. But you would say that person who prayed and, and then that other person received healing, they can't do that like at will. It's only a miracle from God as God chooses. That's right. fair, right? And so demon possession is a very specific thing that was seen as a sign and wonder every time you see it in the scripture. It is never seen as normative. The other thing is that the apostles and the close associates of the apostles are the only ones who, court, who, who do um, who free people of demon possession. Again, it is considered a miracle sign and wonder. That is separated from the other supernatural gifts that are not considered miracle signs and wonders um, that are normative within the church today. That would be gifts of tongues, that would be gifts of healing, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So there, gifts of administration, helps, like all gifts of teaching, all of these things are gifts given to the church covenantally um, and not given to individual people. There's also a very common Southern Baptist teaching that's really nonsense, that when you get saved, you're given a spiritual gift. That's silly. That's The scripture doesn't teach that. The scripture teaches that spiritual gifts are given to the church all through the context of uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, because 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 13, and 14 are specifically saying, like, these things are not for you, they are for the church, and the edification of the church, covenantally, not for you. Like, that's well, the whole would you point of those three chapters. Would you say that when, you know, someone takes this fun little test, like, what's your spiritual gift? If they did it completely, like, less woo-woo, you would agree, um, because that would effectively mean Instead of like, they have been granted a spiritual gift. Um, if they're like, uh, you know, I, I'm a believer in Christ now, and they take the little fun test, and it's like, I have been granted the spiritual gift of charity. You'd be like, okay, well, I wouldn't say that that way, but if your personality is like helpful and charitable, then sure. But that's not what that means. Because, yeah, I mean, everyone has proclivities of personality. To be like, you know, helpful, sure. generous, you know, be, being able to be a yeah. good teacher and explain stuff well. But you wouldn't call that like a divine spiritual gift. But if right. they would, That's you'd be like, yeah, it'd be like, okay, split the difference. We get yeah, what sure. you mean. I mean, it's just your personality. Our giftedness yeah. is according to our personality. But like a spiritual, a, a true spiritual gift is a, a supernatural thing given to the covenant community. It has nothing to do with individual in the church any longer. And if because it's given the to the covenant community... Exercising those, I'm sorry? If it's given to the covenant community, how does the covenant community uh, utilize that gift as a covenant community? Great question. Well, it's not that they're utilizing it or using it. It's like, so for instance, if somebody gets healed of cancer in your church, that is, you know, that is a miraculous um, healing that is given to that person for the edification of the covenant this is exactly what Paul is talking about. 
in 1 Corinthians 12 through 14, is that those gifts of healing and tongues and all these other things, like when 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 it says desire the desire the spiritual gifts, it's not saying desire something that God is going to sovereignly grant you. Like that doesn't make any sense. What it means is desire that the church be showered, the covenant community be showered in the miraculous spiritual gifts that God gives to his church, not the individuals exercising some hocus-pocus spiritual gift, some woo-woo somewhere. Are we all still friends? Um, yes. Yeah, so, uh, no, but but how is it expressed? I have to give the interpretation that I know. Now, I do agree that they are supernatural. I do agree that they are supernatural. Yet, yet, they are not, again, they are given to individuals severally as the spirit. It does say individually in there. So if we're going to use it, we're going to take a term we're going to agree in terms of Greek, Hebrew, Aramaic, Latin, what have you. There's some other things in there that are, go back to languages that we don't have anymore. But the bottom line is they are given to the church and then a, every belief, a believer is going to be used of God like Ananias was for for um, Saul, who we know as the Apostle Paul, he all, the, the gifts of the Spirit are the gifts of the Spirit. That is the ones found in First Corinthians twelve. So how they should work by love in, in chapter thirteen and in fourteen in a worship service. That is twelve, thirteen, and fourteen about the spiritual gifts. The gifts of the Father. Uh, Romans 12 uh, verses uh, 3-8 and then of course the gifts of Son, uh, Ephesians 4 7-16 when you deal with the scriptures on spiritual gifts you should know who is the giver of the gift how that and the definition of that particular gift and then the application of seeing how that gift works so when you're dealing with the the nine in First Corinthians twelve. That's by the Holy Spirit. But no one wants to talk about Romans twelve, which are the gifts of the Father. And if, and we do hear teachings about Ephesians four seven through sixteen of the gifts of the Son. What about the gifts of the Father? And what was uh, CEO saying? Was it along these lines, CEO? We tried to get in a couple times. Unless he's on the phone still. He's on the phone. All right. Well, that was a fun way to start the morning. Uh, serendipity. What's up? Are you canceling your internet as we speak? Just working. <laughs> what are you working on? Oh. All right. Klingon Chris. Yo. What else you got? Oh, you know. Uh, that was fun. That's always a good time. Yeah. 
Um, right now I am. Right now I am resetting my digital picture frame. Let's see how this goes. Your what? A picture frame? Digital picture frame. Oh, oh! Are you putting like what's on there? Like heartwarming pictures of family or like funny memes? <laughs> um, these are my wedding pictures on this particular frame. So. The fact that you found a woman to marry you, I'm going to say is evidence that you are not demon-possessed. Yeah, probably true. Now the, now the question is, how do I find this little reset button? It's like, where is it? <laughs> you deal with like million-dollar equipment and routers and cable, but you have trouble in a picture frame. <laughs> yeah, I can't find the, I can't find the, the, little, the little reset uh, is it the one that you gotta use a paper clip like this is like a pinhole yeah. size yeah but it's like not where anywhere your, your old man eyes yeah it's crazy you gotta get your glasses i got my i got my uh, flashlight out looking <laughs> and i do not see this sucker so apparently there is a different method to reset this particular frame boy so anyway, well, that was fun. Um, but long story short, you know, um, this goes into like, I was just reading that book, um, you know, biblical, biblical case for cessation of them. So um, it's very good. Highly recommend it by uh, Tom Pennington. Um, it's a very good primer. And basically every one of us Did here is a cessationist. I guess. Primer, That's evidence primer. you are demon possessed. Oh, Did you say really? lever or lever? Lever. Okay. More evidence you're not. All right, you're you're being weighed in the balance of the scales. Do you do you believe in tomato or tomato? How about oh. potato or potato? I I'm a tomato and potato. Fair enough. Yeah. There is so, just the one way. There is. I don't know why people get so triggered about like, hey, we can't cast out demons. Maybe we shouldn't pay any attention to demon stuff. Yeah, it's like, I don't, you know. I just I read, don't know why people. He, he said, sorry, he just said something about Romans twelve and the gifts of the Father, and I just read that chapter, and I don't see what he's talking about. <laughs> I just don't I get see, people's. Uh, uh, go ahead. I thought you were done. Go ahead, Todd. No, go ahead, bro. I'm good. I'm done. Uh, I just don't get why people are, are so quick to, like, jump down each other's throat. I guess that means they're really vested in the topic, which, you know, I'm somewhere in the middle. Like, you know, like cessationists, the way Chris describes, no one has at will power to go around. Uh, but there's also totally healings. And, uh, you know, people can pray just like the Bible says. And, you know, people are healed. Great. But to say that 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 person can then go clear out a hospital of sick people because they are like walking anointed. Um, I don't think that otherwise they would do it. Um, so, but then, you know, I think, you know, like demon possession things. I mean, I only have, uh, you know, not firsthand accounts other than, you know, I have seen some really wonky stuff. Um, but you know, put me, put me in a room sometime when this scenario and we'll see what happens. Um, but if there was someone who's like, you know, demon possessed or just, just any word you want to use, possessed, oppressed, tormented, whatever, like spiritually, psychologically, totally secularly, like, like whatever, 
I believe, you know, someone could pray and solve that problem. And then people can, who don't believe that can say, oh, well, you know, God healed their psychological issues. And someone else can say, God hath cast out thine demon. Um, and you can argue over what the issue was, but I believe just across the board, if someone's like, they're demon possessed, and it's really psychosomatic or whatever, or maybe it is actual demons, someone can pray and, you know, God can fix their problem, just whatever that entails. So to get in the weeds, it's like, totally a demon, or it's totally rationally explainable. Just, just kind of hand wave it away and be like, the Bible says pray, just pray to fix whatever their issue is. Um, and then if someone's like, no, you're, Nate, you're totally wrong. I'm like, okay, fine. <laughs> like, I respectfully disagree. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's just, yeah, like, people get, well, people have whole, like, ministries around, like, casting out demons. Um, and, and the thing is, is that the scripture never directly shows instructions for believers outside of the the apostles and the people that are doing what we call establishment miracles in the first century. So Peter, Paul, John, James, John, you know, Philip that was mentioned, um, other folks that are doing what we call establishment miracles, that they're establishing the, the authority of the apostles and the authority of the New Testament, um, the authority of Jesus specifically. We just don't see, there's no instructions. There's instructions on how to go to the church for healing, right? Like we get a whole thing in James 5 of what to do. Um, but there is no instruction for how to cast out a demon, right? It, it just doesn't exist. And so the book that I was referring to that Sean read, um, but I don't know how far he got into it, uh, was by Jim Osmond. It's called Truth or Territory. And in this book, um, Jim Osmond, who's a, who's a pastor, he's really good. He just goes through all of the passages that have to do with spiritual warfare every single one and exegetes every single one. And what we find is that the longstanding witness of the church, that there is no such thing as all of this woo-woo that we see in the charismatic movement, which is most of the time fake, um, just isn't in those passages. And so the idea that we have deliverance ministries where people like that are claiming to be Christians have demons cast out of them, is not only unbiblical, it is probably demonic in and of itself. Well, that's another thing, to be fair. Um, I think a lot of those people um, would probably agree and say Christians, I mean, some perhaps wouldn't, but I think a lot of them would say, yeah, yeah, we agree, Christians can't have demons. Let's say it's like, you know, someone who is not saved or who is coming yeah. off the street yelling and screaming like a crazy person or, oh, yeah. you know. I think not, people not can have demons. Yeah, like non-Christians can have demons, sure. Like, I, again, that's not in denial. That's not in dispute. Well, let's just um, say that's what we're talking about. And then, well, sure. So and then we can't cast yeah. them out. The only thing we can do is give somebody the gospel. And then if God decides to regenerate that person, then the demon will be cast out because the Holy Spirit will cast the demon out. That's the only way that somebody can have a demon cast out. There's not getting a demon cast out and then continuing to be an unbeliever. Well, then, so so where would you draw that line? And Ido, I, if you're, is Ido there? I sent you an invite so you can fight with Chris if you want. Um, we may as well just keep it going. But um, yeah, so, yeah. so would you say, I mean, it's obviously if there's someone that, Chris, you're like, yeah, they are demon-possessed, no question in Chris's mind. Um, yeah. And then, well, let's just say you. Um, someone's like, hey, bro, uh, you know, we don't really believe in your God, you know, so they're not a Christian. But this dude, 
uh, I think, would you say he's demon-possessed? You're like, wow, yeah, 100% demon-possessed. They're like, you know, will you, will you pray to your God, you know, do something? Would you be, would you be like, uh, no, I cannot cast this out. I shall turn my back and walk away. Or would you be like, well, yeah, I'll, I'll pray to God for him. You know, I don't, I can't, I can't at will cast anything out. But, you know, sure, I can pray to God and, you know, maybe God will do something. Or would you be like, no, I shall just tell them the gospel and perhaps the demon will not be able to prevent them from uh, hearing and receiving. Like, how would you handle that? Would you be like, sure, I'll pray, knowing that it's nothing you're doing or your prayer is just irrelevant or. Oh, no, no, no. You know, the, the prayer of a righteous man avail as much, right? So, like. So yours would be irrelevant? Ah, just kidding. Sorry. Okay. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, bingo. Okay, so, but, yeah, so what would you do? So, so like, I mean, I think anytime you're giving somebody the gospel, you should be in prayer. Like, I mean, you know, you're praying for that person to receive. And I think that uh, there, so there is a particular person that I happen to know of, and I'm not going to give any details away that I'm fairly certain is demon possessed. Um, and I'm not like making that as like, Oh, like, no, this, this, it's a 17 year old kid. And she like cuts herself and like takes drugs and alcohol and like, just is, is trying to kill herself pretty much on a regular basis. Like every hour, like she has to be watched 24 seven. Um, and it's incredibly tragic. It's like horrendously, awfully tragic. She just tried to murder her father a couple of weeks ago. Um, yeah. So, I mean, I'm not joking when I say that I'm pretty sure that this kid has a demon. Um, and it's horrible. It's horrendous. And the thing is, is that they have been praying for her. This is a believing family. Her parents are believers. Um, you know, and she, she hates the gospel. She hates God. And when Jesus is brought up, she just, she shuts down and she goes into a canatotic state, all these other things. So like, that is the kind of thing that like, you can just pray for that kid. Um, and, you know, and, right. and, and interestingly enough, her grandparents were charismatics and they're going to our church now. Um, and they're dear friends of ours. And they were like, wow, like literally everything we were taught in church is false. When we actually came upon a person who had a real demon, like all of the charismatic woo woo goes away and you realize how utterly dependent you are on God. Okay. So to, to stick to the point then, okay. So, so that case, or maybe something you're not familiar with, cause it seems like you, I, I'm just trying to get to the bare bones. Like you're like, okay, someone you, you totally are convinced is demon possessed you would pray for that person. Absolutely. But, but it would go like, you would pray quietly to yourself or you would, you would pray like, you know, just like, I'd be like, Hey Chris, I got a broken leg. Would you pray? And you're like, yes. Uh, you know, father, we, we come to you and, you know, hope that you, you know, ask you to heal Nate's leg. Would you, would you do that? Like, you know, all loud and proud, like to the demon possessed person, like, you know, father, you can cast this demon out or anything like that. Anything you want to do, we pray that you relieve this person or whatever. Um, you would do something that you would call like that. Um, versus you're not going to be praying like, I cast you out, blah, 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 demon, be gone. Right. Um, is that fair like, to say? So you would, you would pray just like you would any other time, audibly loud to that person, but the difference would be you're not saying language like, I cast thee out, be gone, Beelzebub. You would just right. be like, Lord, we beseech thee, please relieve this person, get rid of the demon. Well, no, I wouldn't even do that. Like, I think what that's would you useless. do? Because well, I mean, yeah, so I'm asking, person, like, what, like what type the, of verbiage you'd use? If the demon leaves and that person is not saved, then what have you gained? They're still going to hell. 
Yeah, like, so I'm, I'm just looking so, for an, a, a format of how that... So, Stop so hedging, you're like me. Be, sorry, I'm not trying to be <laughs> Nate. But the format is just going to be, Lord, please intervene in this person's life and regenerate them. Like, Lord, please, you know, uh, save this person, you know, from their sins. You know, have, you know, please make them born again and, you know, allow them to give give them the gift of faith. That is the that is the long and the short of it. And so, you know, it That's doesn't matter. Like. Yeah. So it doesn't matter if this person is demon possessed or not, because, again, as a as a reformed person, there's no act of the will that is going to make God give you regeneration. It is that you are regenerated. And suddenly the thing that you want the most is to exercise faith in God. And so that's the order. And so we just pray for that order. We just pray that God would regenerate that person. That's what we've been praying. That's what I've been praying for this young lady is that God intervenes supernaturally in her life, um, that she become regenerate because once she's regenerate, that demon must leave. So you don't ever, you don't ever go around praying to cast out the demon. That's useless. You and, pray well, for yeah, that person's I, salvation. I mean, I, I, I mean, I imagine it's semantics, but everyone would agree. Be like, well, well, yeah, yeah, we don't want the demon to leave without salvation. I mean, because, you know, even even Sean, who I guess popped back in for a minute and left again. I mean, I'm sure he would agree. Like, no, we don't just want the demon to go. Um, you know, th this ends in their salvation. Like, that's what we want. Uh, but Nate, not to be confused with Nate, says, is Chris saying God doesn't do miracles through men anymore? Um, I, I, no. mean, I mean, depending how far you split that, I mean, you could say... <laughs> I, I mean, I guess God has used men to do miracles, but it was never like men did miracles. It was always the power of God, but I don't think that's what you mean. But in the sense that, uh, you know, no one has the, the gift of, of like, like supernatural ability to do miracles granted by God, that they can just freely choose to use this gift anytime they want. That's what Chris is saying no to, right? Yeah. And, and I mean, it's the same thing. So think of regeneration. Think of being born again as a miracle. Does anybody have the power to force somebody to become born again? Does do Nate? Do you have the power to, you know, look at uh, Canadian atheist Michael and be like, "I command you in the name of Jesus to be born again." Well, put him in my cellar and let's find out. Right, exactly. But like, that's the same exact thing. So what we do is we participate in what God is already going to do in that person's life. And so when we have the privilege to participate in what God is already going to sovereignly accomplish in that person's life, then that is the greatest of the privileges because we are getting credit. We are getting, um, you know, gifts or not gifts, but we are given um, rewards for things that we do not do. We're given rewards for things that God is going to do, but he just gave us the ability to participate in that through prayer through talking to people, things like that. And so the reason that we go out and evangelize and the reason that we, you know, go out and pray for people and we pray for the sick and all these things is so that we can have that gift of the Holy Spirit um, to the covenant community of either a person becoming a Christian or a person becoming, you know, uh, being sick and becoming healed, um, a person that, you know, suddenly stands up and speaks in Chinese to the congregation because there's a bunch of Chinese people that just walked in and they've never studied Chinese. Like I, that can totally happen. And I am a cessationist saying this. And so God will use individual people to carry out his will, but it is not individual people that are 
at will doing these things. Nate cannot at will prescribe born again on somebody, but Nate can participate in what God is already going to do in that person's life. It's a huge well, let's difference. check in with Yvette because she says, hopefully you cleared it up. I hear people say men cannot perform miracles through God anymore um, all the time, but I've seen it happen. No one can convince me otherwise, nor do I ever get offended when I hear that. So I just roll my eyes when I hear people say that. But I, I think you cleared it up. Um, so Yvette, does does that make sense? Because like Chris, I mean, Chris is totally saying that, yes, people like I, I think there's a confusion there. When you say like, you know, men can't do this stuff, meaning like it doesn't happen, but you're saying, no, no, it's, it's the power of God and God is doing this. Yes. He, he may, he, he may like respond when someone prays, like if Chris prays and you know, someone is miraculously healed or whatever, like, I, I don't know, legs grow back right in front of them. Then you're like, see, God used you to do miracles. And Chris would be like, yes, God did this miracle. But then they're like, all right, you've been used by God. Now go heal everyone in the hospital. I'm like, no, no, it doesn't work that way. Does that, I hope that helps. Chris, who's the church? All the believers. Is that well, that was easy. Answer, or? <laughs> yeah, I guess that was easy. Well, that was easy. I, I'm just... I'm, I'm, I'm struggling with the fact that you don't believe that believers are given spiritual gifts because the church represents believers. Mm -hmm. And like when you hear Paul speak about um, those passages, like he's speaking in the, the present passive indicative, like, so you know, and we believe that the Holy Spirit's immutable, that he doesn't change. And there's there's never any indication that um the gift of spiritual gifts is is terminated. Now, do I think you know, I mean if if you're saying he gives the spiritual gifts through the the church, that's the body of believers. So it just doesn't reconcile to me that you're saying that believers don't get spiritual gifts. That's not what I said. That is what you said. Nope, that's what you heard. It's not what I said. There's a lot of confusion on two fronts. Yeah. Um, maybe Nate it, can maybe Nate can say my position for you so you understand. Well, I'm I'm trying. Let me let me try to tackle the the chat daemon first. Um, oh, okay. No one's ever done a good miracle through their own power. It's always been through the power of Christ. If Chris doesn't, uh, if this is the point Chris is is stating, it's what we already know. Um, no, the, the difference here is. Okay, everyone's on the same page. God uses people to do miracles. Let's just say that, not quibble over words. God uses people to do miracles. The difference Chris is saying is um, one person does not have an unending ability to go do miracles through the power of God. So it's like, uh, let's just say it's, it's like a case-by-case -case basis, right? Or like a one-off or like as God decrees. So if, if every single person goes and prays for someone to get healed and they are healed, great. But that doesn't mean that person can go pray for every single person they want to and every single person will be healed because Chris is saying no one walking the earth is like that anymore. But uh, individually, like, yes, God can totally answer prayers and, you know, work through people and use people as vessels, um, you know, for, for healing. Is that the easier way to explain it? It's like a case-by-case -case basis, not like some at-will imbued power that 
one pastor can like go around and heal every single person in need of healing. Chris is saying it doesn't work that way. But if a pastor goes around, prays, and a couple people get healed, then sure. Everyone believes that. Right. Hope that yeah, the difference is just there are not apostles walking around with the at-will ability to raise people from the dead. That's all yes. we're saying. And then, and then, and then a, what we're saying in terms of spiritual gifts, which is a different thing, for serendipity's thing, all we're saying is that, the, is that we have it twisted. In the scripture, it is showing us and teaching us that the gifts are the results that are given to the church. The healing to the church is given to the person who is sick. That is a gift to them, but it is also a gift to the covenant community for the encouragement of the church. So 1 Corinthians 12 through 14 was addressing the errors which the Corinthian church had where it was competing for who had the greater spiritual gifts. Okay, and so this is a correction to say that spiritual gifts are not given to individuals in order for them to exercise that spiritual gifts are given to the body to encourage the church. Do you understand the difference, Tiffany? No, I feel like you're playing word semantics. I mean, the body okay. is the individuals. Like, Okay, so I, let's, I let's do a gift of healing. No, no, no. Let's do a gift of, you know, uh, faith or... Let's do a gift of patience that I'm exercising on a daily basis. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, healing's the the most easy. It's the easiest one, right? So, like, let's just use the gift of healing. So, gift of healing is given to an individual who is sick. That gift of healing encourages the entire body. Okay, so the spiritual gift here is twofold. It is both the healing given to the person, and it is the encouragement given to the church. Does that make sense? That is why yeah, that is why that, that is sense, why Paul Yeah. That's why yeah, Paul but, says desire spiritual gifts. It is not that we desire spiritual gifts for ourselves for us to exercise. It is that we are desiring more spiritual gifts to be given to individuals in the church. So like a gift of teaching, for instance, would be like when Stephen gets up and gives his sermon right before he's martyred. That would be considered a gift of teaching, right? So this is supernaturally imbued with the power of the Holy Spirit to have the right words at that moment that we see in Scripture. And then that gift of teaching is, is something for all of us to desire, not for the gift of teaching to be given to ourselves that we exercise it, but that we have the gift of teaching in our church that we can be encouraged by somebody else in the body being given that one-time gift. And also, these are one-time gifts. They aren't gifts given to you at salvation. They are distributed among the saints as the Holy Spirit wills in, in single-serving doses. Okay, so there's not like, I have the gift of teaching. Like, that's just, that's just your personality. It is that I am given a specific gift at a specific time of teaching when it really matters and the church is encouraged by that. That is spiritual gifts according to the scripture. I know this is a crazy teaching, but this is the teaching for most of church history. And then, like, it changed around the 1850s.
And so like most evangelicals believe that, you know, you take a personality test, which is a spiritual gifts test. And then, you know, it's like, oh, I've got the gifts of help and administration. That is not at all what the scripture is talking about. Does that make sense? Another satisfied customer. I get it. Dippity probably got busy working, but I mean, when when I exegete, no, I'm I'm still struggling. Okay, okay that's okay. I mean, it, it takes a long time to figure it out. Like, I can give you a couple of really good things to read on this, but like, um, you know, and study through and, what, and where, study the scripture through. Hmm? Why do you say they're one-time gifts only? Because where does that come from doctrinally? In First Corinthians twelve. So 1 Corinthians 12 is literally talking about the individual gifting of gifts of the Holy Spirit to the church and not to individuals. And so um, when it says, I am, I am glad that I speak tongues more than all of you, it is not saying that like Paul gets more instances of tongues. It is that the Holy Spirit imbues him with the gift of tongues at the right moment. It's not, it's a momentary thing. It is not, I have the gift of tongues that I'm going to exercise at my own will. It is that I am in a situation where God needs to use a language I have never learned. And he is going to use the Holy Spirit through me to give the gospel to that person. Now that is exceedingly rare these days because the first, the first instances of that were to fulfill prophecy in the old Testament from Isaiah so Isaiah talked about a judgment on the house of Israel will be gifts of miraculous tongues coming upon people that will be not Hebrew, that will be foreign tongues with which to um, judge the nation of Israel. And so like that, that, that happened. So like all of the gifts are, and again, this is why it says desire spiritual gifts, you know, but desire it said, and it says desire prophecy. Right. And so why does it say desire prophecy? It's not that you're given. It's not that you're telling God, like, oh, I really want the gift of prophecy. And he's going to be like, oh, well, OK. You know, it's, it doesn't work like that. What he's saying is in the church, we should desire gifts of prophecy given to the church, because in that time in, in the 50s, when Paul is writing First Corinthians, there's no written canon. And so what the gift of prophecy was in the New Testament prophets was a foretelling of what would be written in the scripture in terms of doctrine. And so what he's really saying is desire doctrine. Mm, I don't know. I mean, like even with the gift of tongues, like I feel like, you know, at Pentecost, when, when Jesus was saying goodbye to the disciples, he, he made that statement about, you know, these signs shall follow them that believe and they shall speak with new tongues. I, I feel like there's kind of like a, it's not just speaking specifically related to the quote unquote gift of tongues that was used um, <clears throat> then, but it, you know, and, and he does tell us to, to desire um, to strive eagerly for the spiritual gifts, you know, but first and foremost to pursue love. You know, like that's what the whole chapter 13 is about, is that 100%. the fruit of the spirit is love, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I don't know. I, um, we, can, we can walk through a little bit more like we can go through the actual scripture, Dippity, because I think that once we actually exegete the scripture together, you're going to see all the stuff that I'm talking about. And then it's going to like hit you like a ton of bricks. You're going to be like, dang. <laughs> and, and I mean, even 
Peter, when he references Joel, who talks about, uh-huh. you know, the, the gifts of the spirit in the last days, prophecy being one of them. Yep. Um, you know, so it, it wasn't just applicable to then. Like, I feel well, it like was there's, applicable there's a to lot the of first century. It, it's not just applicable, though, because Joel makes uh, he makes an uh, indication that, you know, God will pour out his Holy Spirit among, you know, people in the All last the days. Nations. Yeah. 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 That's what he did. That's what we have now. <clears throat> yeah, that's not wrong. But like, it, like, so, for instance, when it talks about dreamers of dreams and things like that, like. Like, God doesn't whisper. He's not giving us new revelation outside of his scripture um, with, like, dreams, for instance, right? So, like, dreams are not a thing that we get direct revelation from God. If we're going to say that we are getting dreams from God, okay, then what we're going to see is that, um, that, that God's revelation is not finished, and we're, we're, it's a direct violation of other scripture, right? So, for, what, so that, Second God's, Timothy, that God's revelation is, I mean, are you, are you making the argument that the canon is complete? Yes. So like in Second Timothy so, 3.16. But it's not. About, I mean, according to Revelation, it's not. Uh, you know, God had, God had John eat the revelations of the seven, the, he omitted the seven thunders. But he wanted John to put in there that he was omitting the seven thunders. So it's not complete. I'm not entirely sure how you're getting. I mean, we'd have to go back and exegete that. I could do that with you. But like in terms of in terms of what God is revealing these days, Second Timothy 3.16 says that all scripture is God breathed and can be used for correction and training and righteousness. Right. So like. That is the complete scripture. We do have a complete and closed canon. If we do not, then anything could be could be a word from God. Um, well, I, we have a closed canon until I think the the time of the tribulation. I believe that the canon's closed until that time. But but I mean that, like I said, it's Revelation ten four where he says, you know, mm-hmm. the. the it, and when the seven thunders had uttered their voices, I was about to write, and I heard a voice from heaven saying unto me, seal up those things which the seven thunders uttered, and write them not. Sure, but that's not that's not revelation I, in terms of for life and godliness. What that is is just future <clears throat> prophecy and the specific happenings at the, of of those things that the seven thunders were peeling off. But it's you not don't to think say that those prophecies might not be uttered either through the witnesses or whatever during the tribulation. I mean, well, why would they need that's to what Joel is happen. specifically speaking of? Right. So, but why would they need to, why would they need to be written down as scripture if they're happening real time? It just, it would just be the fulfillment of prophecy. It's not that there's more scripture, right? Because it right. also says in revelation, right. anybody who adds to the words of this book will be cursed. Right. And so, you know, Correct. It's not, right. So it's not saying it's going to give us further. It's not going to give us more. Yeah, it's not going to give us more scripture. But right. when you're speaking specifically to prophecy and prophecy, the point of prophecy being to to add to scripture, like there's still prophecy to be given. Is my point? Like well, not for the sake. 
there's going to be fulfillment of prophecy, but it's not going to be adding to the scripture. It's just going to be fulfilling the prophecy that we already see in scripture. I mean, like when Daniel, right. when Daniel foresaw the coming of Christ, right. in Daniel nine, it's not like we were adding the scripture with, you know, more, pardon me, with more Daniel when that was fulfilled. It was just that those prophecies were fulfilled. So when we say the canon is closed, we're not saying that there's not future events that are going to occur. Obviously there are, right? I mean, I don't, I don't unless you're a full preterist, which is just straight heresy, like everybody believes that there will be future events that are given in prophecy that will be fulfilled. Like no one is saying that. But what we are saying is that in terms of the deposit of faith left to us by the apostles, like we're not getting new revelation from that any longer. Right. There's not apostles running around that are like, I'm writing scripture. I mean, some people claim to be. I mean, right, that T- right, TV right. Charles guy was claiming to write scripture while he was torturing people and keeping slaves locked up in his basement. I mean, mm. you know, that dude was, was claiming all sorts of things. Um, so that that's all I'm saying. And so in terms of the spiritual gifts, I believe that God gives more spiritual gifts now than he even did in the first century um, to the church because the church is larger. There's more healing going on, all that stuff. But at the same time, there are not apostles who are at will exercising a quote unquote spiritual gift of healing. That has never been what the spiritual gifts are. The spiritual gifts are individual gifts given for the edification of the church to individuals in the church both to bless that person with either a gift of healing or being able to participate in somebody else's salvation. I mean, the greatest spiritual gift all of us are given is participating in somebody else's salvation. When we get to tell them the gospel, we have the privilege of telling that person the gospel. And that is, that is us participating in what God is already going to do. And that is a spiritual gift to the church and to that person who is now redeemed. You see what I'm saying? Well, yeah, I noticed that you like to focus on healing because that, that like, what about faith? I mean, I think you can definitely look at, at the body of Christ and you can tell that there are definitely different types of faith within the believers. You have some that come to faith because they, they require more, um, that they like to reconcile, for example, you know, that, oh, science and the Bible don't conflict. Like a lot of people will, will come to faith through exercising that kind of discernment. But then you have others who have a very childlike faith and without any of that, it's like the scripture is just very, very easy for them to believe. I mean, those are, I think that you know, people like that tend to have more of that spiritual gift of faith where, um, yeah, they grow, um, as they're sanctified in their, their walk as a believer, but, but they come to it a lot easier than others do. Are you saying that's a spiritual gift? Faith is, yeah, is listed as one of the spiritual gifts. Right. And so what is, so then the question is going to be exegetically, what does faith mean in that context mean? So like, I think that gifts of faith are given to the church in all kinds of, of ways. Um, you know, certainly in the way that you're talking about and certainly in other ways, um, you know, it's primarily the gift of faith is going to be a gift of faith for salvation. I mean, it's, I mean, this is also 
going right back to the dreaded Calvinism again, that, you know, Philippians 129 teaches that faith is not something that we exercise on our own, that it is a faith, that, that faith is a gift given to us by the Holy Spirit. So I think goes, we, uh, me and Lou have a question about the dreaded Calvinism in a second. Yeah, sure. Okay. I mean, I, I don't know. But Dippity, let's, let's you and me like go to the grind. I don't point. have no question. Okay. Well, oh, for Calvinism one? Okay. I have, I have a question then. Uh, so what is the actual heresy of hyper-Calvinism and is it only one heresy or is it multiple heresies? So, so what is, and, and you know, as steel many as possible, what is the difference from Calvinism versus hyper-Calvinism? What is that difference? And then why do people consider hyper-Calvinism a heresy and is it only one heresy or multiple heresies? There's three questions built into one. I can repeat as needed. Yeah, so let's tackle the first one. What is hyper-Calvinism? Hyper-Calvinism is the belief that um, because there is fatalism or hard determinism that we don't have to do any sort of evangelizing for anybody, that they will just come to faith on their own accord um, because they're already saved from the foundation of the world, that they don't need any kind of gospel given to them, that they're just going to make it to heaven regardless. I that's told you that's silly. what it was. Ugh, I got that yeah. right. I mean, totally yeah. not Lou. That's totally not who I was talking to. But anyway, no, okay. No. Okay. <laughs> okay. And now, uh, why is it heretical and is it limited to only one heresy? I mean, I think there's multiple heresies involved there. I mean, the first is going against the direct command of the Lord to go into all the world and share the gospel and make disciples, right? I mean, that, there's one. Um, I think that there's a damnable heresy involved that you think that justification is given to you as a gift without any compatibilistic free will. I think that's completely nuts. Um, the idea of fatalism is also another heresy that is completely nuts. Can that's I just being, you? what? Before you go for You're breaking up, Lou, what? I'm not sure if I understood you. No, you're, you're breaking up. I didn't up. understand, can you keep saying? Oh, he's going too but... fast, you're going. Too fast. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm talking too fast. Yeah, you, I apologize. Yeah, I like, tend to do that. Yeah, I don't know what none of that means. Use smaller words. Use <laughs> smaller words. Um, okay, so fatalism, fatalism is the belief that you are a robot that is programmed and that you will do the things that you are programmed to do and that all people on the earth who have ever been born are simply robots that God has programmed for his own amusement, kind of like you've got a wind-up toy. Um, that is the heresy of fatalism, um, and that is definitely a damnable heresy because you're you're saying that everything is um, happens without compat what we call compatibilistic free will, and so that would go directly against the teachings of Scripture. Okay, and what's the next one? So I don't know. I lost track. Let's see. So there's fatalism. Uh, there's going against the direct command of scripture to go out into all the world and evangelize. Um, there is another, I can't remember the name of the heresy off the top of my head, but it is basically that you are not justified or given salvation in time, in temporal time, but from the foundation of the world that you were saved. Um, and so like, let's say, let's say that uh, Nate finally gets saved at 45 years old, right? Um, we're, we're praying for you, Nate. Um, so Nate finally gets saved at 45 years old. 
And so everything that Nate had done prior to being saved was fine because he was justified from the foundation of the world as opposed to the moment in which he exercised faith. Does that make sense? It essentially makes God the author of evil. It's like really bad. So where do you think hyper-Calvin-y people um, depart from regular Calvinism? Like what, what, how do they get on to the doctrines or scriptures where everyone's good, happy Calvinists and then they're like, guys, and they start spitting out these heresies and all the other Calvinists are like, no, no, no. Like what's like typically the thing that starts them off on the wrong path? Like how far do you go before you're like, okay, you've departed into hyper-Calvinism? So, yeah, that's a good question as well. Um, the I'm not sure of the process. Okay, let, let's let's also say this. I've never ever in my entire life, and I've been doing this for you know whatever Christian faith for 35 years, and been a lot around a lot of Christians. I have never ever in my entire life like met a hyper Calvinist. They're like they're like the Chippecabras. Like you, they're, they're, they're like the, the monster in the closet that everybody talks about. I mean, I know they're out there. I think but... I met one here. Like the only one I've ever met was on clubhouse probably a year ago, maybe. Okay. Yeah. I mean, maybe, I mean, but like I said, they're exceedingly rare. Um, and so uh, there's a whole denomination of them. And it's like, or obviously it's a really small denomination, right? Because <laughs> they don't go out and talk to anybody. Because Calvinists are already a really small denomination. And then well, hyper-Calvinist you know, is even more small. Right, yeah, I mean, like, well, I mean, if you take actual evangelicals, Calvinism is actually pretty big. So that's, like, all of the Presbyterian churches, um, half the Baptist churches. Including know, the gay be, ones? No, 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 that's not going to be, that's not going to be included in that number. I'm talking evangelicals, not progressives. But just an even, you know, you're talking Calvinists are probably going to be, like, 30 to 40%. Wait, but, I thought it was, like, 7% of Christendom. Or if, yeah, if, if, if you're talking about if, Protestants. If you're just no, if you're talking you no, know, the six percent number came from Roman Catholics, Orthodox, like taking a billion Roman Catholics and throwing them in there. So you can see where that waters the numbers down, right? See what I'm saying? So you start throwing like statistic. What did Mark Twain say? There are lies, there are damned lies, and then there are statistics. Like you can make a statistic <laughs> say anything you want. You know, it's kind of like, oh, COVID doesn't hurt, you know, COVID shots. Oh, I'll, I'll, agree Cal- I'll agree with the Catholics on that, just, you know, for fun. <laughs> okay, yeah, continue. There you sorry. go. So, so anyway, so like, you know. Yeah, so where do hyper-Calvinists sort of like, vanishing. what typical teachings or, or where do they go? Like, what starts them off on the, the path to hyper-Calvinism? I think it's just like, I think it's a worship of um, man, right? So I think like all man-centered theologies, it's just like, eh, we got nothing to worry about. God's going to do what he's going to do it's all fatalistic and I'm just going to sit back and sip a craft beer and not worry about it. <laughs> I think it's, that's what it starts with. I think it's, it, it comes from nominalism um, to be honest. And to I be think. fair and microbreweries and to be fair, I mean, I guess, I guess your hyper Calvinism is, is like, you know, charismatics, which you could even say there are some people you would call charismatic. Like I, I'm, I brush very closely against that. Um, and hopefully you'd still say, okay, I'm saved. I'm Orthodox-ish enough. Um, and then there would be, maybe you could start calling, I mean, you call them NAR, but I mean, for this, I guess you could call them hyper-charismatics, where, you know, they believe all the woo-woo stuff. 
um, to mm -hmm. the point where it's like woo-woo, not heresy, and then woo-woo, marine squid spirit, messed up, God is energy, you're energy, you're God, heresy. So, I mean, you know, I guess we have them too, and for whatever reason, ours are either much larger or much more vocal. Yeah, it seems like. I, I mean, I don't know. I think, like, um, the NAR heresy. So, like, there's a lot of just regular charismatics out there that are just, like, in regular churches that are totally harmless, like yourself. Like, you know, just a non-church, non and everybody's just doing their thing. That's what like, I want you to think. Right? I know. But then there's also, you know, um, the the woo-woo NAR stuff, which, you know, is destructive, you know, and that's... Same thing with with hyper Calvinists is like, you know, they're they're into they're into the same woo woo nar stuff as the nar is. They just do it from a different perspective. That would be hyper Calvinism. Oh, Nick, I see you have your hand raised, and brother, wherever you are, uh, if you're still here, he's gonna say yes. Comment. Welcome, Michael. Welcome, Josh. No, I was just saying I posted a link with all the different uh, forms of Calvinism, all the way from hyper-Calvinism to low-Calvinism. They have moderate, low, high. Like, they have all kinds of different degrees of Calvinism. A lot of them are within orthodoxy, but when you get to the hyper-Calvinist stuff, it's obviously heretical. Like, they're the ones that teach eternal justification. They don't... A Calvinist will believe you're justified at a point in time when you're converted, when you uh, repent and believe the gospel, whatever. Uh, Hyper-Calvinists are going to believe you're eternally justified, and that's what we get accused of sometimes. Well, the elect, they've always been justified. No, we don't believe that. You get justified at a point in time. You're chosen before the foundation of the world, but where hyper-Calvinists mess up, they mix, you know, because you're chosen, therefore you're already justified. And some of those believe you you have to give evidence of being the elect before they'll even evangelize. Like they won't even evangelize unless you give evidence of being the elect. And that, yeah, they, they completely get it messed up. And uh, let's see, brother's comment was hyper hyper Calvinism replaces so, uh, sola fide and soto eclitos. Um, one more thing: is there someone, Chris? This is for you. Um, I, I invited them. It, it's John three. Um, it's just a tagline. I don't know if they want to talk or not, but I sent an invite in case they did because it's interesting. It says, "If you uh, want to know how to find God, ask the Copts and Google Lady of Zaitun." I, I don't want to Google it yet, but does anyone know what the Lady of Zaitun is? Okay, that's on the table. What's up, Jesse? Oh, nothing right now. I had something to say a while ago, but I missed it. We're way past it. Oh, uh, yeah, John, I, you said what just happened. I, I just I saw your tagline because I didn't see a name, so I clicked on you, and I saw your tagline. So if you want to explain that, I don't have time to Google it right now, but the Lady of Zytoon or whatever. Uh, Todd, what's up, Todd? Yeah, on the topic of the hyper-Calvinism, I had a uh, just a small little experience yesterday. I was on a Facebook. I'm on Arminium. Arminianism versus Calvinism page. <laughs> That's got to be fun. It's a dumpster fire. Yeah, it's a dumpster fire. It's kind of fun sometimes. <laughs> so anyway, I replied to some guy talking about election and salvation. And <laughs> I literally would just I, – all I said was, no, we are elect before we are saved. And his response back to me was, oh, so you're saying that you are saved before you are saved. 
and I said, is English grammar hard for you <laughs> or what? Because, no, that's not what I said. I said, we are elected, and then we are saved. And he just couldn't understand it. So I'm like, man, people that fight against Calvinism sometimes, they just do not even care to believe or care to understand what we're trying to say. It's funny. Uh, Mr. Michael. Oh, who was talking? Go ahead. Whoever was speaking. No, I was just saying, you know, in all, a lot of different heresies came about because there's two balancing truths that have to be held in tension. And when you deny one or the other, you end up in heresy. Like the two natures of Christ, uh, different things like that, things with the Trinity and with Calvinism, it's God's sovereignty, man's responsibility, different things about, well, you're elect before the foundation of the world, but in time you have to repent and believe the gospel. There's a lot of different things that had to be held together. And if you deny one or the other, you end up in heresy. And people just don't care to keep that balance. That reminds me. That reminds me of what I was going to say. Um, Go ahead. So it is it, hyper-Calvinism is fatalism because they, which I know people have already mentioned on stage, but they're removing, they're removing, like, it's almost ironic because what you're trying to do as a hyper-Calvinist is you're seeing everything as so deterministic that they actually are removing the effects from the causes, right? So, for example, I am, I, um, faith comes by hearing, right? Okay, well, fatalism would say, well, everything is so deterministic, right, that the the results right the faith that's going to happen as an end regardless of what cause exists right like i'm gonna basically it's i'm going to have faith regardless of whether or not the word is preached right that's but that just removes like the deterministic side of compatibilism altogether right so like it doesn't matter what you do it does like the the ends will be met without the means. You don't need any means attached to the ends, right? Because like that's the importance of saying like my Christian profession is I'm I'm going to live in accord with my Christian profession, but they are just removing the profession from the living, right? Such that you can live in any way and you still have the uh, the source of your of your faith, which is just like justification. I have justification, but it's not, it doesn't actually produce anything in my life. Right. I don't need to do anything differently. I don't need to live differently because it's just a fact. And so they're just removing like means from ends causes from effects. Right. So it's, it's actually quite ironic that fatalism, right. Is actually just the denial of determinism. It seems to be, I think would be the biggest takeaway from that. And welcome, Mr. Michael. How's your day going? Uh, it's going pretty good. It's funny. Um, <laughs> I I don't I don't have a bonus structure for the hat of charitability I have to put on today, Nate. Um, it's it, it's it's really interesting. People in general, or uh, no, this conversation. Um, it, it's it is completely nonsensical. Um, and it's funny. Like if I try to. Like, if I try to put on this, this hat, right, even when I was a, even when I was a Christian, 
Calvinism didn't make any sense to me. And it, at first, now I should qualify that at first. And as I tried to look into it more, I forget the Bible verse where it says where God knows the beginning from the end. So, and when I started looking into that a little bit, I'm like, well, then kind of it doesn't have to be the case, right? So like, and you hear like charlatans like Ken Hovind say, you know, God's already been to your funeral. Um, so, okay, that, which corresponds with God knowing the beginning from the end and all that other stuff. Okay, fine. And when I start to look at that a little bit and dig into it a little bit, it's like, okay, maybe, maybe Calvinism kind of like the kind of the determinist sense, maybe that has to be the way. Because, you know, if the Bible's, and this is again, looking at it through my, through my Christian lens, um, if, if God knows the beginning from the end, then it all has to be determined, right? Because if God knows what happens in the future, then nothing, it's not possible for something else to happen. So therefore, determinism seems more likely, and therefore, Calvinism seems more likely. Um, until you try to reconcile that with free will. And, I, and I've heard all of the arguments before about the differences in free will, uh, you know, um, you know uh, his permissive free, free will versus prescriptive free will, and all these other things. And, you know, it's like you have total free will, but it's still your fault and your choice, which is like garbage in, garbage out. Um, and it's and it's hard. And th this is it's it's discussions like these that helped me on my way. And I don't I don't, I don't mean helped in the in the, the strictest sense, but ushered me on my way to the realization that none of it's true. Then it should be discussions like. Today is the day of salvation. Repent and believe the gospel. Eternal life is free for anyone who wants it. Um, discussions like that should bring you back. We have the robes. I keep telling you. I, I know, I know, and I'm and I'm almost ready to send you my size. But no, but what's interesting, what's interesting about that is, and this is something that you and I are in agreement in, because it's like repent and believe. So, but but we know that we can't choose our beliefs. So, and this is something you and I are in firm agreement in. So it's like, even if I was like, because, um, God is the reader of hearts, right? So I can't fake it till I make it. I certainly can't fool this God. So I could repent, right? I could repent, but I could not do the second portion. I do not have the capacity to choose what I believe. Belief is the process of becoming convinced of the truth of a proposition. But then still so in my I, position at that divergence. Sorry, say that again? You cut out for a second. But can you still man my position at that divergence? Um, maybe. So, uh, actually, I'm not 100% sure that I could. Maybe you could try to explain it better. And not, not saying you didn't explain it well, but maybe uh, explain it further. And then, I'll, and, then I'll, and then I'll try my best to steel man it. Okay, so we, we agree up until this point. We can't choose our beliefs. Um, Therefore, you know, you say you can do the first part, but you can't do the second part, which is like make yourself believe of something you honestly don't believe is what you say. Um, as if, uh, you know, you will just sit there and be like, well, if I don't believe it, I don't believe it. But that's where we diverge because I would say, well, you don't believe it, but there's things you can do. You can always continue to take in new data. And the data I would recommend taking in is, you know, like taking your word, like this, the lovingly prescription, right? Like the things Jesus says to do. Um, so I, I would say, do that. And I mean, honestly, if, you, if you're if you like, hey, look, to the best of my ability, open, sincere, honest, um, you know, I, I've done this ad nauseum and I've just found it lacking. Like I've, I've given it more than a reasonable effort. Then I'll be like, okay, fine. Um, you know, taking it your word. I can't read your heart, as you said, only God can. Um, 
but I would say that's it. Um, so I would just be like, okay, well, you can always choose to take in new data, and the best data to take in is what Jesus says. Or to put it in the children's song, <laughs> read your Bible, pray every day, and you'll grow, grow, grow. Um, and if somewhere along the way you're like, I believe in Jesus, and you just start regurgitating a bunch of stuff, I promise I'll look out for you and be like, hey, buddy, I think you may have brainwashed yourself because we don't want that happening. That's fruitless. Um, oh, anyway, Jesus. <laughs> Jesus, when he was talking to the Pharisees who were grumbling, they didn't believe him. He said, don't grumble. He's like, no one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him. So that that is his thing. You you can't come unless the father draws you. So that should humble you. That sh That really should humble you. The fact that your inability should make you all the more humble and, and crying out to God because you, the fact that you can't just up one day and say, well, I'll just choose whenever I get ready. The fact that you can't do that, that it takes the work of God, that should terrify a lost person. The fact that, it, you know, God is sovereign over this. The ball is not in my court. I better be crying out to him, praying that he does something. And he works through our inability or recognizing our inability to, I think, to, to humble us in a sense. That's and, really interesting. That, that, that's really interesting. And Nate, yeah, that's a, that's a good way. Like uh, what you said was was really good about uh, you know explaining your position better. And and, and yeah, uh, I mean we can't know. I mean I could be the the biggest pole that has ever lived and just be yanking your chain <laughs> for two years, right? Now that's not the case, and I I think you believe that. I believe. Um, you. So you know, but but it, it is interesting. And to what to what Nick just said. I guess I'd follow it up with a with a question, um, Nick. How how mortally terrified are you of Lord Voldemort? Yeah, I don't Case believe that's uh, exactly because I, I, it, I, well, I it, scripture yeah. teaches Romans one that you do know there is a God. You just suppress that knowledge. <laughs> I know, I know. Romans one is my favorite Bible verse, as, as Nate knows. Um, but it's it's funny because like. As as terrified as you are, like mortally fearful of Lord Voldemort, that's how scared I am of your God. Yeah, it says there's no fear of God before their eyes. Uh, that's that's because your heart is calloused and hard. That that in itself is uh, a bad place to be, honestly. Well, yeah, and and but that align that, that does align with Scripture, right? Like I think it's in Ephesians where uh, I can't remember. I think it's in Ephesians where it says, you know, God uh, draws close to those He chooses and hardens those He chooses. So if he's chosen to harden his like harden himself against me, there's diddly squat I can do about it. That is true, but well, if we t if we get more concrete examples and go from like theology and like a philosophical stance to concrete, like something the Bible says in black and white is everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Like point blank, there's really no way to like misinterpret that. Well, I mean you can, but I believe strongly Everyone means everyone. If you call on the name of the Lord, you will be saved. So at what point does, you know, God knows the hearts. And if someone's just like, I don't believe in this anyway, but I call out to your God. Therefore, he has to save me. Ha ha ha. If he exists, um, where do we draw the line from that? From, okay, look, I, I am trying to be sincere and humble and be as tabula rasa as possible about this. So if your God exists, then this Bible says, if I call on his name, I will be saved. I, and it says everyone who puts their trust in Psalms in the, in the Lord uh, will not be put to shame. So I believe somehow there's a convergence where if someone is not just like doing it as like a YouTube mockery test, but there's like an inkling of honesty in that person, they're going to start the path that is going to culminate with an actual legit belief 
um, in this God. That's that's just my humble suspicion. Um, yeah, anyway. and that's really interesting. Like like it is entirely possible. Like it would be it would be dishonest for me to 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 not admit the following, right? It is entirely possible that you know, and like Nate, you you know how I got on the clubhouse, right? So it's entirely possible that that was the you know the start of something in the hope that I will hear the still small voice, right, or something like that. Like it's entirely possible, and who knows? It is possible that I am currently on that journey. It, I have to admit that as a possibility. Um, but I don't believe that. And Nate yeah. was basically correct in what he said, right? Like that there's a convergence between the two, right? So you can say, right, you don't choose your beliefs. Your beliefs choose you. But once you're in possession of that belief that chooses you, you are like synthetically actively choosing it as well, right? So that's that's the that's the neat paradox of like concurrentism, right? So you could be on your way, but you don't realize that you're on your way until you've arrived at the destination. You're like, oh, all of those unbelieving circumstances that define my life up until the point of that convergence were was like, you could say, preparing me for the point of confession. And you don't know that, but that's right. That's the rejection of fatalism. And that's the foundation of what you're saying free will is in relation to choice, right? You, your freedom is born out of God's decree of the circumstances that led you to the point where your will is such that you freely choose the, the graces of God, right? And it's, it sounds a bit paradoxical, but I think the, the best way to just put it is you don't choose your beliefs. Your beliefs choose you. And when they choose you, you are choosing them. Right. Because it's not a it's not like, yeah, so good. No, no, no. And and I no, and I, I agree mostly with especially the, the first and last part you said. Right. Um, we only always and ever act in accordance with our beliefs. So I agree. I agree with the root of what you said. Like so um, your beliefs choose you. Maybe like maybe that's just a like a, a different wording that I would use. But I think fundamentally I agree with what is you're saying. Um, and yeah, and, and when, if that were to happen, like everything I believe now, like I said, I act in accordance with the things that I believe. And so, yes, I, I think for the most part, I agree with what you said. Yeah. I mean, the interesting thing comes down to like, if like, let's, uh, let's infuse the discussion with a little bit of scripture, like second, the Salonians, <laughs> did he just get a call? Uh, Jesse, if you were talking, you either unplugged your mic or got a phone call or something. Gosh, yeah, I don't know what's going on with my mic, man. My mic. Let me see if I. Let me if I hop. You're you're good okay, now. Gonna, you're saying Second Thessalonians. I, yeah, I'm gonna keep speaking. Let me know if I keep if I stop speaking when I switch apps. So I'm gonna switch apps, right? Okay, I'm gonna keep talking. Okay, I I'm out and I'm in my Bible yep, app. You're good. You guys... You're good. Yep. Okay. I... Kevin, whatever you, you, just, you, dropped you out. just cut whatever out. You just whatever did, just, you just whatever out. you just did, cut it out. Okay, so I think it's when I switch apps then, because that was happening last night too on my phone. If I switch apps while I'm talking, it cuts me out. So like I'm gonna go. Okay, I'm in my other app. Did we I break heard up? all. We heard. We, we heard, heard the whole off. Did your beliefs just change based on that evidence? My beliefs just changed about Jesse. Yeah, we heard the whole off. Yeah, my opinion now is that Jesse's a raging heretic. 
And the only way to to convince yourself that that's not true is to basically just brainwash yourself and break your yeah. brain. All right, cool. But go ahead, Jesse. Oh, unless you're trying to speak this whole time, which we don't hear you. Are you trying to speak now, Jesse? Oh, yeah, I was. You couldn't hear any of that? No, no we didn't hear any, any of that. Of that. Okay, so if I go to another app, I stop talking. Just stop going to other apps. <laughs> well, I'm trying to read. Things. I'm trying to read <laughs> oh. while I talk. You know oh. what I mean? So uh, that's that's the problem. I'm gonna have to go in and figure out something in my settings. Um, okay, well, get I a can't hard read copy it. of the Bible. Yeah, you can't try to do both things go, because go Nate, dust, Nate, yeah. go dust Nate the requires Bible absolute fealty when he's speaking. So you have to just like uh, you can't look up okay. Well, here I'll just try to paraphrase it then, right? Second, or just give us a verse. And someone else can read it. Yeah, Second Thessalonians two nine through twelve. Okay. Anyone else want to read that? I'm afraid to switch apps. Yeah, I know. It's it's highly irritating. Did you say Second Thessalonians two nine? Yep, two nine through twelve. All right, give me one second. I'll pull it up here. And you guys cannot hear me right now, right? I hear yeah, you now. Can. Yes, we oh, can. Two nine. <clears throat> Even him whose coming is after the working of Satan with all power and signs and lying wonders and with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish because they received not the love of the truth that they might be saved. And for this God shall send them strong delusion that they should believe a lie, that they all might be damned who believed not the truth but had pleasure in the unrighteousness. So the question is, like, what determines their belief to belief in a lie? Right. Well, it's something. And usually the, the doctrine of total depravity that is an out, outworking of original sin is explaining, right, man's natural condition is defined by his separateness of God, right? Like, you think of it grammatically. You have Jesse, and then you have God. Well, if you just have Jesse grammatically, just that word, right? Well, you don't have the word God as an adjective on Jesse, like uh, Jesse's redemption or Jess or, or redeemed is Jesse, right? And so the natural disposition for individuals is going to be that their circumstances determine who they are in a certain sense, right? And so these individuals, they're not, they're choosing to believe a lie freely precisely because they are free from God. And so then God operates on that position saying they refuse to believe the truth and then god does something that doesn't really change anything it's not a coercion because that's their default position right so their beliefs their beliefs essentially chose them due to the natural circumstances that they found themselves in from that right then you can say well god did an active work in my life such that he gave me a new will that those new circumstances determined my choice my free choice he he redefines your freedom that you're free in christ rather than free from christ right and being free in christ the circumstances determine your freedom such that you willfully and joyfully choose the lord yeah michael <laughs> yeah he's like yeah so uh no and and it's interesting and i i mean i guess as respectfully as i can uh muster it what you're saying makes sense if I take the Bible as authority and I don't. So, and, and it's hard because I've, I've talked to people a lot about, you know, like what their final authority is. Some people say God, some people say the Bible, some say, you know, kind of the word of it, like things, different things. Um, but I don't look at the Bible as a, 
reasonable document to take seriously. And so I, I get where you're coming from. And if I muster all my charitability, I can say, yeah, I agree with you, but I really don't. Well, you don't have to either, right? Because nothing that I said would contradict common logic and, and a secular unbelieving logic either, would it? Right. Like you said, right. Your understanding of like Calvinism kind of you were like, oh, yeah, this seems to like function. It seems to make sense. It seems to just be the way that things are with reference to cause and effect. And that's true because like that the argument is precisely that what the Bible is appealing to is just God's law that he has uh, ingrained in creation. Right. That that all effects are attached to some prior cause. Right. Why do you believe? I ask Nate, why do you believe he's going to give me a reason why he believes? Right. And that's going to operate as the foundation for why he professes faith in Christ now. So I'm just saying you don't have to. It is not a scriptural issue. Right. I'm not per se. I'm not arguing. Oh, look at the Bible. Believe, Michael, because of what the Bible says. No, I'm saying it accords with the truth because in its most basic sense, there are no in inherent contradictions within it, right? A, a very philosophic notion of free will is going to have internal contradictions because you're just going to constantly ask, what is the basis for anything that you believe? And why can't then you be a, a doxastic voluntarist, right, where you do choose your beliefs, your freedom precedes your beliefs, such that whatever position you're in now, you can just switch, right? Like you, the interesting thing is you ask believers, right? Can you just stop believing in God in, in a moment's notice? Like, because if you're truly, truly free, it's, it's okay. You could do it. You could stop believing in God right now in this moment. And then you could switch back, right? Because your, your freedom is so utterly free. There's nothing to worry about, about giving up faith in God, like that he exists, and then going right back to that position. That's all I'm saying, Michael. I'm saying you don't have to look at it in the sense that I'm making a scriptural argument. I'm just showing how the, these these arguments within scripture are just appealing to basic logic. And I think that they do do that until you have to go back to what your foundation is like. So Jesse, what is your final authority? Um, well, it would, it, it, I would, you'd have to qualify it in what sense, because obviously, right. I'm going to say the Bible for issues of, for issues of doctrine concerning like, special revelation, things that I could not know apart from the Bible. The Bible is going to be my final authority. Now, all of everything that's been given to me through the Bible has to be mediated through like the ultimate authority that is my own mind, right? Like that's why the argument for reformed Christians is that God has to give you a new mind and a new heart such that that heart and mind is willing to embrace the things of scripture. Because otherwise, your freedom so your 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 freedom of the mind so precedes anything that God speaks through His Word that there's there's no real basis for why you believe what you believe, and you could, in a very genuine fashion, switch back and forth indiscriminately and spontaneously, right? So it's it's both, right? I'm like, I believe the Bible as the final word, final authority for all things, but that is mediated through the necessary position of I can only believe what I can believe in my mind. And that is ultimately, that's the ultimate standard that ha that has to be renewed by God. Make sense? Um, mostly. But I, but I will say, uh, and take this in a manner which is intended, um, I greatly appreciate 
what I got from you, which is probably not discounting things that other people in this room have said to me before, but probably the most honest answer I've ever gotten when I've asked the question, what's your final authority? Because most, like most people, most, some company, present company accepted, um, just kind of punt and say, God. So I really appreciate the, the genuine nature in, in the way you tried to, to answer the question. Um, and, you know, it's certainly more food for thought. You know, I, I come here to have stimulating conversations and to learn things. Um, and so I, I appreciate what it is that you said. Yeah. And I mean, when they say God, they're not being right. They're not being any less genuine than me. Right. Because the argument is, OK, well, why is your heart and mind in, in such the way that it is that it's receptive to the special and general revelation of God? Well, God. Right. Like that's the argument is that grammatically you think Jesus or you think Jesse and then you think God. You have two subjects there. And the question is, does one determine the other? If the answer is no, that means that Jesse is free from God. And if he's free from God and God is the truth, then necessarily the position is falsehood. So Jesse will believe falsehood until his heart and mind is so determined by God that he is receptive to the things of God. But it, but if that's the case, right, then it's then in order to get out of the concept of Jesse as free and Jesse as just indiscriminately choosing between belief, unbelief, spontaneously, right, and randomly, then determination must be that God has determined my heart and mind, and I will be receptive to it, precisely because that is in a binary fashion, the alternative to a radically, radically refined definition of freedom that is Jesse apart from God. You're either apart from God, you're free from God, or you're under God, right? And if you're under God, right, the, uh, the, the effect of that will be a heart and mind that necessarily receives the things of God. And so that's, that's just to say, right, they're not being deceitful. You know, I'm not saying you're saying that. I'm saying they're not being deceitful. They're not being, you know, beating around the bush. They are saying, yeah, I, the re way, the reason that I believe the way that I do is because of God, but that is him reorienting your epistemic faculties in such a way that you will receive it. You, you will receive it precisely because you, the only other position from saying free from God is free under God, right? And so, yeah, your highest authority is always going to be yourself. The question is, why is yourself the way that it is that it accepts the word of God? And that is never going to be a true freedom because it's a freedom in bondage to self, right? Or it's a freedom in bondage to Christ. That's 2 Peter 2.19, right? Whatever overcomes a man, it is to that that he is enslaved. So if, I, if my mind chooses to determine of its own accord, whatever it does, it might happen onto good decisions, like good moral positions, like don't steal a candy bar. But it will never be, it is wrong to steal a candy bar because God has decreed that stealing and theft is immoral, right? This is very interesting discussions about how, how the human mind interacts with the world around it. And freedom isn't free. To quote Team America, yes. Um, <laughs> Got the buck 05. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. I mean, but Michael, does that, so that is the reformed position of regeneration. 
Oh yeah, and and I've heard it, I think I've heard it from you before. Maybe not as and this wasn't this. Uh, don't take it the wrong way, Jesse, but not as drawn out as Jesse laid, just laid it out. But I think I've heard damn near the same thing from you. Um, but but the the one thing that I would say, because um, I don't have the capacity to be hundred percent charitable, is Jesse. Pretty much everybody, with a couple of notable exceptions that Nate and I agree with, um, pretty much everybody that I've interacted with in this space, this specific space, is I, is I believe and I'm convinced is genuine. But there are plenty of dishonest actors, and I've had the displeasure of interacting with several of them, um, but present company excluded from that. What? what pretty much everybody what? So, so when you were saying before that um, – you know that that people weren't necessarily being dishonest in their approach or something like that. Um, I I believe that's true. Of I think well, let me just look at this stage. Everybody here on stage, and I think uh, everybody listening. Uh, but I have spoken to many who are not. Uh, I guess in it for I don't think even you would consider are in it for the right reasons, right? Where this you know these interactions are not meant for uh, edification. Right, it's blood sport for them, and uh, it's just to, to try to you know pwn others, right? For yeah. for example, I mean, subjectively, everybody's going to be in it for the right reasons, right? But because look, 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 the the issue is that everybody's everybody's God is truth, right? Everybody's God is truth. The question is, where is truth grounded, right? If truth is grounded in yourself, then yeah, I mean, essentially, you can engage that kind of idolatry such that you might as well compete in blood sport because it is my, my truth versus your truth, right? It's grounded in me. Um, if truth is grounded in God, right? You have a precise motivation to not make it not a blood sport because, because the light that lit your path was not yourself, right? It, it, you, you have no real incentive to make it the fact that, Hey, you're wrong. And I'm right. Even if, even if we're right, like, even if, the debate and the engagement is fun, right? In the sense that I'm right and you're wrong, the motivations are drastically, they drastically differ, right? Like I'm going to tell Nate, Nate, repent of your Arminianism, right? And, you know, blah, blah, blah. But that doesn't mean that I'm like going for the jugular for him because he's not, he's not going for the jugular for me. And he is going to ultimately say, well, truth is grounded in God. It can't be myself because if it's myself, what 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 demagnetized compass can lead me on my way, right, to any kind of salvation? So I I, I agree with what you're saying, in in a basic sense, you know. And for the record, I, w I mean, I would be one of those people who say, you know, my my final authority is God, uh, but I would also fully agree with what Jesse said. But alas, that is because I am a simple creature. Yeah, yeah, it all sounds reasonable. And Chris, I didn't mean to cut you off before when uh, when you were when you were chatting about something, but uh, yeah. Anyway, uh, I have to go quiet for a little bit. I can listen, but I can't uh, chat for a few. Yeah, and I actually have to go too for the day. But uh, Jesse, so um, real quick, um, the imp implication of like repent of your Arminianism um, w would that be like in jest or like no, bro, seriously, repent. And then do we define repent as different things? Because I would I would say like repent would be like, you know, you, you're 
more than just making, I, I mean, if you say, well, you're making an error, but it's not like a damnable error, then, you know, I guess technically yeah. turn and go the other way would apply. But if you're like, you're in deep sin, my brother, repent, then I guess I just have well, to respectfully disagree. It, it can be both, right? So I'm Which one do jabbing, you well, I'm jabbing at you a little bit in the ribs, right? But I'm not saying that you are in such error that it's damnable, right? Like it's true, right? But it does. it's not so true that I'm like, literally, Nate, listen, you need to repent of this. You're going to hell if you don't, if you don't yes, it's turn simple. from your... Uh, yeah, so any, uh, so that's the thing, any rejection of the truth is going to be sinful, right? But there are degrees of sin. But I call this truth. Yeah, and, and that is sin. Where you call falsehoods truth, right, that is sin. That doesn't mean that, that doesn't mean that it should be taken to the same level as, um, I am going to go commit infidelity, right, because I simply want to spite god right that would be like obviously a very grotesque sin well, this is not that right that's what but at I'm what saying. point oh well yeah i i guess sure you know I'm, I'm glad you know jesus is my judge but i mean well by saying clearly an opinion like you're gonna say it's it's truth it's fact but i'd say well well no i mean you know jesse and your reformed views um you're calling falsehoods truth and that's a sin and you'll say, yeah. well, no, it's it's true. I'm not calling them false. I'm not calling falsehoods truth. It's true. And I'm saying the same thing. I, I'm not calling yeah. falsehoods truth. It is the truth. That's like saying, hey, um, the truth of the Bible is God says, uh, you know, drown kittens. And you're like, no, it doesn't. It's like, hey, if you want to deny truth, it's like, but it's not true. It's your opinion. And it's a messed up opinion. Yeah, yeah I mean, it's like, that's like, it's like the difference between like, um, uh, like kind of like uh moral realism and anti-realism right like you say oh well what's the truth of certain moral propositions is it grounded in myself or outside of yourself and uh, and like so for a minimum requirement is that everyone's going to believe that what they believe is true yeah okay but there has to be some kind of external correspondence like truth is ultimately outside of oneself so to the degree that you correspond with that external reality your belief of truth is going to be validated or invalidated right and that doesn't eradicate the fact that everybody whatever they believe for them is true so last question that i have to i, I really have to run um are myself and arminians christians uh yeah have you heard my distinction that i've given between do uh doctrine and faith or like I haven't Christian. been in a word unless you correct me I'm going to say yeah. yes we're all cool in, in a in a word I make a distinction between justification and doctrine right and I say the term Christian refers to the whole set of of true doctrines right that is found revealed in the word of God so on that basis if you err in reference to those doctrines you're not a Christian because you, you haven't met, met the minimum standard however you are justified and on the terms of your your justification your relationship with christ right you're a christian it's two different senses of using the same term and well, i think you have to put up with me in the heavenly places yeah for eternity yeah i will all right but you're not <laughs> but you're not orthodox <laughs> well you're not catholic which apparently is the one true church i'm told so you know yeah yeah all right take care everyone see you guys later